That's the Arizona, Tennessee, West Virginia. You're saying that these are both photographs of Pearl Harbor on December the 6th, 1941? Welcome to Man Cave Movie Review, episode 39. This is the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. Today we're going to be talking about The Final Countdown. This great and fantastic film stars Kirk Douglas, Martin Sheen, James Ferentino, and Catherine Ross, who we will determine whether or not was relevant in this movie. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Mark. We're going to go back in time. Slover. You know, I think this is the first movie that did a computer war game tie-in unbeknownst to the movie through carriers at war where you can play out what would actually happen and as ken and i can attest nothing good happens to the imperial japanese fleet when a nimitz class carrier decides to pay a visit with its entire strikes wing yep i'm i kid you not there's a game carriers at war you can play the scenario wow it's not much of a scenario to play. <laughs> not really. Game over. <laughs> All right, and also joining us is our other good and dear friend, uh, Jeff. Does anybody have any Dramamine on this ship, Muncie? It's the final countdown. Should I stop there? Wow. I can go on. <laughs> Name the band. I, Europe. I have the entire catalog right here in my living room. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Definitely need a palate cleanser. You um, asked for Dramamine? You got it right there, buddy. <laughs> All right. And uh, we're welcoming back, uh, who is uh, out for uh, the last several shows, is our other good and dear friend, Ken. Why do they call him Cag Roni? Well, I'm hoping that I could go out and get caught in a strange blue time vortex that will take me back into the ancient era, preventing the formation of the Internet and therefore sparing all of us a free Friday night where we won't be podcasting. <laughs> then what would I do? Yeah, what would we do? Well, we know well, what Ken is doing. I'd be well, out there doing something. <laughs> Ken, that hasn't stopped you the last two weeks, so. Yeah. Bing, bang, pow. To follow up on Mark's comment, I'm, I'm still ticked that you can't get the Final Countdown version anymore of Carriers of War. I tried to get it. And if you think about it, and we could get into that, imagine what Imper- the Imperial Japanese headquarters would be doing. Where did our fleet go? <laughs> and the American and the United States Navy doesn't know either. Yeah. No. Nobody's no. talking. Maybe we should catch the listeners up with exactly what is going on here before we proceed any further. Oh. True. Yeah. There's that. Good point. Yeah. As I said, we were talking about the final countdown. Uh, for those of you who uh, listened to our last show and went to the website and saw that we were going to do Roadhouse, uh, due to circumstances beyond my control, the DVD that I got from Netflix was um, basically cracked in half, so I didn't get a chance to uh, watch it and get clips and do all that stuff. So upon suggestions from the, uh, from the crew here at uh, Man Cave Movie Review, we decided to go with the final countdown. So this movie is about a, uh, a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier that goes back in time. They go through some kind of 
weird storm that puts them back uh, from 1980 back to December 6th of 1941. And they're trying to figure out what's going on, and then they finally realize they're back in time the day before Pearl Harbor occurs, and they're come to the decision that they're going to change history. They're going to defend. Uh, uh, they're going to defend Pearl Harbor, and they've got all the modern weaponry that we had back in 1980. And yeah, it's a pretty interesting concept. Uh, as uh, we were talking, we, they actually had a game out there, a scenario, uh, Carriers of War, that that had this. I saw this movie so long ago, I had completely forgotten about it until Jeff uh, mentioned it, and. I, I don't know. I, it's it's one of those where it definitely did. I think it was cool at the time when I saw it. It definitely does not age well. Uh, that's for sure. I don't think. Uh, but anyway, that that's kind of my thoughts. We'll we'll get in a little bit more of the uh, uh, the detail on it. But uh, Jeff, I, I want to get your uh, your opinion on this. What do you think? I had the same feeling about this movie as I did Red Dawn when we reviewed it. When I watched this movie, and this is four years before. Or the six years. Six is, this is six years before Red Dawn. I think Red Dawn was 86. Um, I saw this movie, I think, in 81 or 82 on HBO after it came out. So, you know, I was not even a teenager. and But it left an impression upon me. And such an impression, I wanted to go join the Navy. Which is what this ended up being was kind of a, a big recruiting tool for the U.S. Navy. And they even used um, scenes from the movie, posters from the movie um, in their um, in their recruiting offices. This is a big thing for the Navy. And I'll tell you what, it, it got me thinking about joining the Navy because that's what most of this movie is, is you just are seeing carrier operations for about half the movie. Right. And that's where this movie, I think, is really cool. It's it's science fiction, so you you have to look at it through those lenses. That lens of um, uh, for this movie, uh, it's a it's a science fiction what if scenario, and it's not even plausible. Um, but it's it's basically science fiction slash time travel. Uh, no, it doesn't age well. It did what it could with what it had technology wise during that period. But like you said, it doesn't age well, especially and, and it's obvious with regarding the. Um, um, the, the special effects of when they go back into time and the storm they go through. There's four principal actors really on the sh- on the show, and two of them are big names: Mike, uh, Martin Sheen and Kirk Douglas. Martin Sheen's on it probably a lot less than Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is on it a lot more, and yeah. he does a fine he does a fine job. Uh, but you know Martin Sheen's not on it much. But I did see what I did notice in this movie was Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen have a lot of the same mannerisms and yep. the same acting style, and I've never noticed it before until this movie. And it's interesting when you said that. I talking about Martin Sheen and, and just his role in the movie. Uh, you know, we always talk about the irrelevant female role. Uh, what exactly was his role in this movie? I mean, if there was if there was an irrelevant character in this movie, it was probably Martin Sheen. Well, I. I don't think it was completely irrelevant. I mean, his whole purpose for being there, besides being some sort of a bizarre observer that had unfettered access throughout the entire ship. Yeah. Um, and I know that he was, what, was he CIA or something like that? No, he was some sort of intelligence agency, no, wasn't he? No, he was a civilian. No, he was uh, like he was some, some sort of, some sort of con- defense contractor. Okay. Defense industry contractor. Um, besides the fact I found it weird that he just had, you know, access to every part of the ship and could just go through anybody's office, you know, at will and just look at anything. Um, aside from that, 
the whole purpose, the, I think the whole reason for him to be there was for that last, that very last scene in the movie where you kind of bring past Close. and present back together. Yeah. How's that? Okay. I think Close the that, circle. That it was. Yes, Ken, thank you. It was closing the circle. And he, that, that's what his character was there for. And, and I thought the end of the movie when I first saw it, and this time again, I've only seen this thing probably three or four times, and, and I know some people may think that's a lot. This puts really Top Gun to shame as far as Navy photography or photos or filming of the Navy. That's a bold statement. What? How so? I don't know. Um, Mark, what do you think? I, I thought Top Gun, was, I mean, as far as Navy filming, I thought was far better than this. No, this one blows it away. You think so? For, for one simple reason. Top Gun showed you Hollywood Navy. This shows you unrestricted naval carrier ops. Okay. They pulled out every stop. This was basically a document. When you watch the carrier ops, in my mind, and from what I've read and what I've seen, and guys I know who've served, this was basically a documentary on a carrier op in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. They threw every piece of hardware into the air. Every um, piece. Every, every piece. piece. Every piece. I mean, we 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 dumped every piece of air, anything that could be pushed off that flight deck went into the air. Yeah. It and it I'm was, surprised we didn't see paper airplanes at something. Like that. I, I think we did. It. You just missed them. <laughs> they were too small. Um, well, and the thing I also liked about it. Okay, it's your time travel plot, and I, I want to circle back to that in just a second. The other thing I liked was the actors really respected the material in the sense of I, they felt like they were supposed to be on the deck of a carrier or in of a carrier. They, they, they didn't play too Hollywood in that sense. You, you could sense that they tried to take that role seriously. If he's the captain of the ship, he, he acted like the captain of the ship, I thought, better than most. I, you know, it, it is what it is, and it's, it try, it's two movies in one, in my mind. It's a time travel movie. With kind of that science fiction overlay, so it pulls that audience in. And then it's a war pig movie. But other than watching us splash a couple zeros, we don't quite get there. Now, I will I will say, the one thing this movie did that it had no idea it would ever do is it created a cottage industry in the science fiction and alternate history world of writing, um, especially if you look at John Birmingham's stuff or the Detro- Destroyer Men series. This thing spun off a lot of interesting little cottage industries, and uh, and I, you know, I got to give it credit for that as well. It's not a great movie, but it doesn't attempt to be anything more than what it is. And I'm like Jeff, I I saw it in the theater, and between that and Top Gun, you want to run out and hop in an F-14 and become a naval aviator. Now, if you want a date movie, Steve, for naval aviation, then you go get to see an officer and a gentleman. Oh God. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that 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 movie was hard to hard to watch. Yeah, I guess I, I I don't know. I guess this thing is just for me. This movie just I don't think it aged as well. But yeah, you're right. I think in terms of the now that I think about it, yeah, the the, the filming of the fighters and everything like that was was a lot better. Yeah, cause you're right. I think it was probably more the Navy having um, control over that. I don't know. One of the things I did read about in the uh, trivia, and I'll just jump ahead real quick here, uh, just to make one thing I thought was just kind of funny, because uh, it said, this picture was made with the full cooperation of the U.S. Navy. And I thought, well, that's obvious. Uh, <laughs> really, really can't do it without those guys. 
<laughs> we stowed away on board yeah. the USS Nimitz. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, just real quick, want to talk about some of the uh, the other actors in there. As we talked about, Kirk Douglas, he uh, he played the the captain of the uh, carrier, and I I am absolutely shocked over the fact this dude is still alive. He was born in 1916. For those of you who can't really put your head around that, I mean that was World War One was. Uh, you know, in its what second year? So <laughs> this guy is ancient, and uh, I, I was curious about this. I didn't know that that was his. Uh, that's a stage name because I guess his real name. He was born uh, Isser Danielovich Demsky. So I guess he's uh, a little, oh. little Russian in him, or Irish maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Sounded Spanish to me, but I was gonna say it. That was that was what all. Do I know? Yeah. That was all Inuit right there. Yeah. But he is, I mean, anything about I mean, that guy is, you know, he's older than dirt, and he's still kicking. I mean, he is well, still out there. I'm not going to say he's kicking well. Yeah. But. Well, he had, he had a stroke. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's... Years ago, but he's, uh, I mean, that that's that's pretty impressive. Um, other actor was, uh, he played uh, Commander Richard Owens, and also known as CAG, which was Commander Air Group, I think is what they call is what that means. Uh, that was James Ferentino. He'd been around. You see him, and you've probably seen him in a lot of stuff. Uh, he um, unfortunately passed away uh, very beginning of this year. In fact, uh, he died January twenty fourth, twenty twelve. He was seventy three, uh, but he was he was in quite a bit of stuff. Um, this was sort of a B list leading man. Yes, yes, that's a that's a that's an excellent uh, description of him, Ken. Um, B list leading man. Then there was Catherine Ross. Uh, she played Laurel Scott, who was uh, a senator's assistant. And it's one of those things where I, I I can't even begin to tell you what the hell else I ever saw her in. I, I, can't, um, I Butch, Butch Cassidy, Cassidy, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, that's true. I yes. <laughs> She's, she was in it. She's Captain Ross is in a lot of big movies, especially back in the six years either side of this movie. She was in a bunch. Yeah, she's pretty much, uh, from what I can tell on IMBD, she's pretty much wrapped up her career. She hasn't done anything since 2006. Oh, I remember. She was in The Graduate. I forgot she was uh, she was in that. She was uh, she was the one that was boning uh, Dustin Hoffman. So, um, boning. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, oh, and speaking of Red Dawn. His girlfriend in the movie. Gee. <laughs> and then speaking of Red Dawn, there was Ron O'Neill. He played uh, Commander Dan Thurman. And he was in that. And, uh, uh, again, unfortunately, he passed away, too. He was uh, 66 years old and uh, died in 2004. You know, I thought it was pretty interesting because I'd never really seen him in, in too many other things. Um, uh, I think he's probably best known as uh, when he played priest on Superfly back in 1972, uh, for those of you who remember those days. But I I was really kind of uh, interested in some of his bio, and I thought it was pretty uh, fascinating that he has a, he had, I should say, had a superb singing voice and loved to sing opera. I just don't see that. Oh. But hey. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't see it from me, but I do it too. 
Well, can't you hear me at the intro? Yeah, in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> it's on you right now. When nobody's home, don't ever do that again, <laughs> or at least let's <laughs> get the headphones off before you start into that. Uh, then, uh, then we've got Charles Durning. He played Senator Samuel Chapman, and uh, he's another one you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I uh, just, you know, he was uh, he was in the Sting. I, again, he's just one of those guys. You've seen him in a bunch of things. You just can't really put your name on, or put your finger on what uh, what it was. But you know, he played the typical politician jerk type of guy. Uh, but that, you know, but really for that period of time, this was a pretty big, uh, pretty big cast. When you think about it, you know, you've got some, you know, definitely Kirk Douglas and Martin Sheen. You know, those guys were, you know, cut their teeth on quite a bit of stuff uh, prior to that. So. Well, if I could jump in, just throw a few things out there. A like Mark, uh, I can say that on a hot summer day in 1980, my brother and I got into the old AMC Gremlin, and drove over the Shadeland Theater, and watched this. And when I was watching it again, we, you know, I wanted to see it because, like, you know, I'm a big history buff and you know, military history buff, and this was coming out of a long dry spell. I mean, this was this is the end of the Carter years. In terms of movies, I think the last couple big movies that are out there are maybe like Apocalypse Now and a few things like that. Uh, so going to see this was going to be, you know, to me a a, a treat. And in you know, in retrospect, I got to say this is a, a different way of saying what you guys are saying is I was just thinking this is carrier porn. I mean, it's like <laughs> get deep and deep down and dirty into how a carrier really works. Yeah, this is it. Uh, the acting, yeah, it's it's. I mean, great cast. I mean, big big names and everything. If you dig into it, you find out that the producer is Kirk Douglas's son. Yeah. So it's like the son lined up the Navy to give him a carrier to film on, and then Dad came on board, and then it's like, well, you know, but Kirk Douglas in, he was able to shoehorn in these other you know major actors. If it hadn't have been for him being in, I doubt this thing would have really taken off. Uh, and Ken, you know, you brought up a, a, a point there. You made a comment there that I want to just expound on a little bit. But you said the acting was kind of. Eh. I, I really have to agree with you. That was one thing I really noticed about this movie. You've got a lot of veteran actors, but the acting seemed very, very stiff. I mean, the only one that, I mean, even Kirk Douglas was just, I mean, was passable. It just seemed like it was. And I don't know if it was them or if it was just the director, but it really. It was really kind of bad. The acting was really kind of bad. Well, I'll throw in something. About half, actually more than half of the speaking parts in this movie are, honest to God, crewmen. Yeah. Who are delivering your lines like an honest to God crewman would deliver their lines. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, you know, that's, it may be really authentic, but it's not really acting. And the other actors, yeah, they... They're going through the you know the motions, and they're given a, you know a, a workmanlike job, but they're not the star of the movie. The aircraft carrier and just the situation is the star of the movie. Oh yeah, you're right about that. And they're just sort of along for the ride, and I think they all knew that. So I don't think they could all, anybody could get totally fired up. Uh, having said that, I mean this movie did pretty well back in the day, and. It was like Mark said, it, it, it yeah. generated a whole history, a whole chain of follow-up things. You know, the other interesting thing I think you could make the case that this movie was 
if not the first, on the front end of the it's okay to make a patriotic military movie again. Yeah. You know, there had it been was, so much anti-hero, bad military, evil military industrial complex. And th- I don't know if this is the first one, but it definitely is in the front end of that uh, wave of we're going to make a patriotic movie about the military. And I think that that I, th- I think that's that's something to its credit. Uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't try to be anything more than what it is. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of a that it was originally shot. I almost wonder if was it originally shot to be a a um, you know whatever the Sunday night movie of the week, whatever they used to have on the network. Yep. And they said, ah, oh, you know, the hell with it. This thing's got enough legs. We can throw it into the big screen and make a little more money. It just kind of reminded me of that type of a movie. Excellent. Well, it, it really it, it it wasn't though. It was. It was from front to back. It was going to be a, a major picture. It's but it just, just feels that. that. Yeah, it, it's you're right. Back in those days, they would have a movie of the week with a big name cast, getting in there, delivering their lives. They're very forgettable. Uh, having said, I mean, I like this movie. I, I liked it then, and I mean, I watched it. And it it's enjoyable. I mean, I. I'm, I, I'm like the, de- the the target demographic for this movie. I was back in the day, and I probably still am. So I, I had a great time watching it. Now, will I say it's a great movie? And eh, again, not so much. But you know, it's it's if you haven't seen it, and you have any interest in like naval operations, naval affairs, and such. Again, the carrier is the star. The ship is the star. The system is the star. And actually, like I refer to, the crew is the star. I mean, there's more, there's more crewmen delivering lines in this movie than Hollywood actors. And I, I do have to say one thing, and that's just a rebut something Jeff uh, said, which is something I noticed and kind of enjoyed is, you know, Martin Sheen is the civilian on the ship. He comes on board the ship and for about the first half of the movie, until things really get weird and he like, ingratiates himself with Kirk Douglas's character, character, it's uh, did you notice that everywhere he went, a Marine corporal with a forty-five on his hip was saying, "Yes, sir. No, sir. Follow me, sir. In this room, sir. I'll stand outside, sir. I'll be here if you need me, sir." You know, he wasn't given free run of the ship, but I was like, "That's kind of funny." I well, I kind of like that. I'm going to rebut your rebut. And my butt what? is, um, if if there there's a scene where they're down in the uh, in the in the hangar, and he has no marine escort, he is just walking along in that hangar by himself. That's later, like I said, later on. But in the oh, early well, scene, well, I mean, in the early scene, I mean, sure, because he was escorted to his cabin, and of course there'd be somebody stationed there. Of course, nobody was watching him go into the other guy's office and rummage through his stuff. Well, because um, the door locked. Forgive them that. Oh well, you know, oh, the connect- okay. they shared the same bathroom. I mean, I don't see. you always just if you find yourself in that situation where you can like wander into somebody's room, don't you just go and start ransacking it? Sure. Well, yeah, but I mean, not on a navy ship. You know, one thing I want to just talk real briefly about too is, again, the central plot of the movie is that they were thrust back in time the day before the attack on Pearl Harbor. So, I mean, we would have pretty much ended the war. I mean, with that one carrier. I mean, that one carrier basically could have ended the war on both fronts for all intents and purposes. 
It had more of a nuclear arsenal than anyone else. Oh, wait. Well, no one had one. No, I I just, it, you really have to wonder, but I mean, you you also have to look at the standpoint that, uh, I mean, you have to really pick your targets well because it's, I don't know, they probably wouldn't be able to manufacture the ammo that we needed or the ordnance that we had. But then again, I don't know how much is sitting on top of a aircraft carrier. They may have had plenty to, uh, you know, to, to handle it. I mean, the only way you're going to take out a Tomcat is maybe with a lucky shot, and that was maybe from anti-aircraft. I mean, there was absolutely no way those planes would ever be able to, you know, stand up to stand up to a fight. If they were going to go in with um, surface or um, air-to-surface missiles, I mean, they would have fired them two miles stand out. Up. I mean, there would have been no. I mean, they would have they wouldn't have been able to touch them. I mean, you're not dive bombing onto. I mean, those ship, those planes aren't dive bombing like the uh, uh, like the World War II planes had to do. I mean, you're firing your um, everything's at standoff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got a two mile range on your air to surface missiles, and everything is radar locked on. So they would not have. You're, to your point, Steve, they would not have been shot out. Um, and you know, and and you saw what happened when a uh, when a sidewinder sidewinder got to, uh, got into one of those. Uh, well. One of those uh, Texans painted as a uh, zero. They got twenty millimeter guns, or is it? Or they 40. have uh, 40? Um, forty? Maybe twenty. I can't remember on the fourteen. I mean, just I mean, just a slight burst from that. I mean, could have, you know, it, it was taking down planes. I mean, well, hell, the backwash. They could have just flew over. <laughs> well, you and well, you saw what it ha- did in the movie. Yeah, I mean, basically, just go over them on the afterburner, and they would just fly apart. It was a twenty millimeter. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, I want to make a comment, which was that summer when this came out, of course, I was deep into my you know, geeky wargaming groupdom, and everybody, all the guys I knew that were down at the old game club, saw this movie. So we'd sit around there late at night and hypothesize about all the different, you know, the stuff we're going on here about, we talked this to death. And I think the uh, the end result of that was... If this really did happen, I mean, if you took a modern, you know, a 1980s carrier, threw it back in World War II, number one, you make the jet disappear. And then you just sort of sail around and, like, nuke Tokyo or Hiroshima or whoever you want to do. You go to Berlin, you take out the Nazis, and you just end the war. And, you know, you wouldn't even have that. If I was, you know, I, I could still remember saying, like, if I was a captain, I'd just sort of, I wouldn't even tell anybody. I'd just go do it and then sail into Norfolk and say, here I am. <laughs> Well, I, I do think there has to get a point that you are unable to rearm, though. Oh yeah, that's that's just. I it. mean, you, you, you know, just run out of yeah, you just run out of stuff. Well, that's a uh, Mark mentioned the John Birmingham's books. He did a series called Axis of Time just a couple of years yeah. ago, which mm-hmm. is a this thing on steroids. But that's a major part of that book is the fact. Okay, you got these people from the future; they're back in World War II, but. They don't have the infrastructure to maintain anything. I mean, everything's slowly falling apart and getting used up. That's the thing about this thing. You, you get started talking about this, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, what about this and what about that? And it's an interesting mental exercise. Is it realistic or factual or even good science fiction? Eh, probably not. You know, hopping back to something you mentioned earlier, Ken, that I really thought was well done in this movie and you don't always see well done in military movies that Hollywood makes, was the whole issue about once they decide that they're going to commit and attack the Japanese fleet, 
the whole concept and the whole discussion of what's the chain of command. The chain of command is the President of the United States. No matter who the President of the United States is at the time, we are sworn to protect and defend the United States of America. And I like that whole interplay because you don't see that mental exercise conducted in movies very often. I like that, too, but there's another whole element in a movie like this and, you know, any story, again, the books and other things that have happened, which they don't reflect, which is, okay, I'm going to put myself in the role of a crewman. Okay, you're now, it's you were in 1980, you're now in 1941, your kids don't exist, your wife doesn't exist, your family doesn't exist, your pension doesn't exist, the nation and laws you know don't really even exist. Or, you know, what are you going to do? And the idea of everybody just saluting and saying, I, I, sir, you know, right away, sir. Don't think so. Not in reality. I mean, if you're really trying to, not that this is supposed to be a real, realistic movie, but there would be major, major problems along that line. If I were making a movie like that, it'd be kind of messy and, like you say, angst-ridden, but... Yeah, but I'm talking about in the immediate. That, I, I agree with you. I told I love like that. I the, like fallout, that the fallout issues would have been interesting to examine, and they do that in Birmingham's novels. Yes. Again, that's on steroids. Right. <laughs> what did you guys think about the uh, the soundtrack of this? And not just singing. I just meant the, the soundtrack of the movie. I wanted a reprise from Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> let me clear my throat here. Um, well, I'll jump in here just real quick. Um, I thought it was uh, terrible. Yeah, it was horrid. Uh, it could best be described as maybe adequate, maybe. Um, that's yeah, you know, Ken. At at best, you're right. At best, it was um, adequate for 1980 um, for somebody that had no idea what to do with uh, with with this movie and putting it to music. Um, you know, it, it was it was kind of an upbeat tempo. Um, you know, kind of getting you in that. It, it was kind of that. Synthesized rock, uh, um, trying to you know get you get your heart racing to the um, in, in, intense naval scenes that you're seeing. But when the Navy wasn't on the screen and they were playing the music, it was pretty darn bad, just bad, yeah. bad, 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 bad. Yeah, bad. You, you could tell this was before the MTV amped up soundtracks. Yep, and. It, it just reminded me of a who's the cheapest out of work soundtrack <laughs> composer we can find who can who can gin something up that's passable because there's a lot there's a lot of that going on back in the late seventies early eighties yeah it, it was it wasn't horrible it was utterly forgettable and with good reason thankfully we didn't have the porn guitar or the or, or the keyboard, you know, the overzealous keyboard that you get uh, later. <laughs> well, um, it was the 80s, so what do you expect? Or early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy that did this, I mean, he has John Scott. Um, he, you know, he has a lot of stuff to his name, but not a lot of big name stuff. Um, one of the biggest ones he has is... Um, Remember the Titans, and um, you know, outside of that, I mean, the man really—he he seems to be kind of a, uh, a tertiary type of uh, 
score guy to go to. Um, he really hasn't done, like I said, a whole lot. He did do the uh, the great movie Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Um, if we can all, uh, maybe we should put that on as a man cave movie sometime. Nah, Talk I, about I, it I irrelevant. I, there was we, one aspect that redeemed that movie. That movie was nothing more than one excuse after the other to throw <laughs> Bo Derek into water wearing a skimpy linen clingy garment outfit. Translated as irrelevant female lead. That, that, that's, that was sort of that, an irrelevant massive, movie. Massive near nudity. I mean, I, that, back oh. in the day, I was all for that. Yeah. And that movie, I remember that movie was, because uh, I saw it you know, years and years ago when it, when it first came out and it was on cable or something like that. And I just remember going, holy cow, oh, Derek's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, she was. As long as she doesn't say anything, she's hot. Yeah. Well, that's it. But it was, it, I, I still remember, it's like, she'll get on a boat and fall overboard and have to get up and prance around in her clingy T-shirty material. And then, then it rains and then, you know, it's just mud. one thing after another. It's like, come on. Mud. Didn't she have to oh, wait? mud. Yeah, she yeah. get covered in mud. I mean, this is one thing after the next. But like, okay. I mean, that, if that's what it takes to do it, bring it on. You know, maybe, come to think of it, maybe we should watch this movie again. <laughs> <laughs> you I say watch me. it, but let's not review it. <laughs> we can it's review just, it by just saying. Because wasn't that, uh, wasn't, wasn't Tarzan, wasn't that Christopher Lambert? Wasn't that? Yes. Lambert? Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was a dark Tarzan. It was. Yes. They're trying to be true to the original. And... <sighs> yeah, 19, yeah, it was 1984. Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. Yeah. Lord of the Apes. Yeah. At that time, it held the longest name for a movie title. Wow. The least amount of lines spoken by the, any of the, by the lead. Oh, you know what? We screwed up. That's not Bo Derek in that. That was, uh, that was Andy McDowell. No. No. Just the one with Bo Derek then. Now I don't know. Ten? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Greystoke, the legend. Tarzan, of no, Tarzan the Ape Man. Oh, okay. Tarzan I'll take it different all back. Tarzan the Ape Man with Richard Harris. Oh, another, yeah, another. Greystoke was, you're right, Greystoke was the other one. Uh, all you got to do is look at the copy that they have. <laughs> now, all you have to do is go to the images of Tarzan the Ape Man. Look at her bathed in mud. That just bathed in mud is just a picture of her swinging on a branch word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, hey, Ian, Ian Holm was in that movie. I yeah. didn't remember no, that. It, it's a movie where, again, it's another Richard Harris, I need to collect a paycheck to pay my ex-wives and my bar bill movie. That's what this was. <laughs> yeah, you had uh, yeah, cause the – yeah, because the Greystoke one, that's the one that, I, that I'm thinking I remember. Yeah, Annie McDonald. Greystoke is, Greystoke is actually not bad. That's more the Burroughs. Story, okay. And who played? Um, he played in Highlander. He played Tarzan. Yeah. There can be only. How, how do we get off on a Tarzanic? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Take on a World yeah, I, I was I was talking about the score and what John Scott had done. It I was me. Monty. Yeah. See, Ken. I'm, I'm I'm the catalyst that causes you guys to go off the deep end. You know what? And Ken Ken bought right into that. And Ken's the guy that's supposed to keep us on track. We've yeah, blamed you, him for the last two weeks. And you know what? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the guy that keeps you on track. You know, you know what? Jeff? Get back in line. Jeff, you know what you are. You're Mr. Morden. Oh dear. 
Well, I cannot wait till we get to the Babylon 5 connection. Oh, yeah. Did you find it? I found it. Oh, man. You're going to love it. I know. You're going to awesome. love it. There's a Babylon 5 connection? Yes. yes uh, you're going to love it. It is up. epic. Yep. Uh, we'll leave that one for Jeff. I actually found that one, too. I was, I was kind of impressed with myself. Uh, I get us oh. track. Get back on. We did fall off track, didn't we? Uh, so you know what? You know, it's like we went through a time warp. Yeah, we went through. A yeah, we did warp. time warp. It's like we're talking about the final countdown. Next thing we know, we're talking about Bo Derek bathing in mud. My God, what is that? What is what, what? is that? What are you doing? It, it was a, oh, she was she was simulating the uh, the bizarre time, time warp, warp that we shipped. Yes, oh. <laughs> they got it now. Yeah, they, got, they got your bad. genius. <laughs> that was a very bad time warp. Yeah, it was. And, you know, here's here's something that I. So the effects were horrible. <laughs> yeah, the special the special effects aren't terrible in this movie. And you know well, that's the that's the uh, that's the thing that kind of surprised me a little bit. And uh, I would have thought they could have had a, something a little bit better than what they did. They just kind of changed the color of the screen and silhouetted everybody against the ship and it, i don't know it was just pretty it was just pretty bad and i think it does mark you have a good point it goes back to you know this was one of those sunday night nbc premiere movies you that, know steve they could have gone to industrial light and magic they went to bob's special effects for this one <laughs> I'm, but now now keep in mind i mean what what are you going to do if you're trying to you know put the um the carrier in the foreground and you're trying to show some sort of effect taking place behind it. I mean, for 1980, and I'm going to, you know, I, yes, this movie came out in 1980, but that's when it was released. But so production wise, 1978, 1979, for the time period, and I guess how you have to look at it is for the time period. I mean, what else did, what other options did they really have? Well, you know, let me, let me throw this one at you. And like I said, this is definitely going to be on the docket for uh, one of our, uh, uh, big shows, but, Hell, look at Blade Runner. I mean, Blade Runner was made about, what, a year or two after this? And that movie holds up today from a special effects standpoint. That's true, but and, I don't know what the bu- what was the budget on this. I mean, I'm no, assuming listen, this, this is what, You got the Navy. I mean, with the budget? <laughs> you got a two, well, $2.99. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. The budget was two ninety nine, but you get an aircraft carrier for free. Yeah. yeah. So let's just think, let's just... Film the aircraft carrier. Morty's House of Aircraft Carriers. I've got a deal for you. You buy the extra roll of carpet, you get an aircraft carrier for free. I have to point out something here and just jump in. I, your comments somebody made a second ago made me think, well, when this came out, what else was playing? You know, summer of, of 1980, it was Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, The Shining, The Blues Brothers, Airplane, Caddyshack, Mad Max. It was a hell of a movie. I mean, hell of a summer. Yeah, there, there were, you know, we we had talked between like 1976 and 1984. I mean, it was a you know a, a banner period for some of the a lot of innovation in uh, in cinema and and a, and a lot of movies that we look back on fondly too. Um, and this was a period before where you had a lot of directors and producers who were hungry for you know making movies that um you know kind of push the boundaries of what they had to what they could get their hands on at the time you know i mean again it it's it's a matter of what could they get what did they have available but you know it's a good point 
Ken. There was a lot of good movies back in uh, 1980, and the one that I'm absolutely uh, completely blown away by is the number two top-grossing film in 1980 was 9 to 5. Seriously? Yeah, I can believe that. It was big back then. Yeah, it was My big. God. It had a broad appeal. It was It was your summer date movie. Well, but then you had Blue Lagoon. That came in at number nine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The hell, that beat out the Blues Brothers is beyond me, only by, you know, not by about a million bucks, but, oh, good Lord. I have to share, again, this is a totally off, since you mentioned Blue Lagoon, <laughs> my dad. In 1982, my dad was in a serious car wreck. He was bedridden for months. But one Friday night, I left, and everybody else left to do something, and... We had cable, so somebody turned on the TV, but the, the control got away from him. And it was, I come walking in the house around midnight, and he's laying there. And Blue Lagoon is playing with the volume cranked up. And he's just going, shut it off! Shut it off! <laughs> it was right near the end. He, he sat, had to sit through the whole thing. If it had been a doubleheader. Oh, my God. The Blue movies. Oh, Blue's brothers would be good. That's got to be on the list. But we digress. I'm the one that's not diverging tonight. Yes. Oh no, you're the one who just had a aircraft carrier float by the screen. <laughs> by the way, those were better special effects than those oh, that we saw in the movie. That is no this shit. Is, this is true. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who are listening to the show, uh, we're going. What the hell? Yeah. Oh. Is it, oh. If anybody is left listening right now, we're going to go on. Yeah, uh, hey, and gonna, I think they just filmed a toilet bowl that had some tiny bowl in it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Superimpose that on the background. That was pretty much the special effect. <laughs> this, this, this is what it looks like with a toilet flushing with one of those little blue am, am I right? inside of it. No, nope. I, I, I thought I saw scrubbing bubbles going around the edges. Oh. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly it is. They put they put the little Mr. Tidy Bowl in there, flushed the toilet, filmed it. And you know what? I bet that's in the trivia somewhere. Oh my gosh! All right, you know we might as well go on to this part because I'm sure those uh, those brave listeners who still are listening to us probably really want to know, gentlemen, what are we drinking? Yes, we have to be. <laughs> uh, okay, I will go with. My- <laughs> I'll start. You're, the, I'll start. you're our fearless leader. Do something. All right. So we're gonna. I'm gonna go over to uh, Mr. Roney. What are you? Uh, what are you imbibing with, sir? I was drinking the usual vanilla vodka, and for a Friday night, caffeine-free Diet Coke. Excellent. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm saving Jeff for last because whatever it is, it's got to be good. Mark, what do you got there, sir? Well, I went with a new holiday beer. i got to find the alcohol content on this bad boy. It's um, Alpha Claws, three Floyds out of Indiana, up in huh? the region area. Yep, up in Munster. Yeah, at the Munster. It's their Christmas porter. Je- uh, Steve, you would really like it because it may be a porter, but it's like the old Fezziwig kind of porter. It's got that flavor mm-hmm. of the Fezziwig ale from Sam Adams. It's not bad. Um, I think it's a little more hoppy. I was expecting a porter, and I don't know if it's the spices or what, but um, it's, a little, it's got a little more hoppy, bitey taste than I was expecting, so it kind of threw off my taste buds. 
But you would probably like it. Um, like I said, it's uh, Three Floyds Christmas Ale. And they don't have the alcohol content on here. It's definitely not 9% because I would have gone off the rails at this point on this damn podcast by now. We'll just say Perfect. it's uh, zero. No, it's probably for Three Floyds. I mean, their stuff's probably about, it's about Sam Adams level, probably about 5%. Yeah. So we'll give it this. <laughs> um, of course we will. Jeff, of course Jeff, we will. Jeff, what do you got there? Uh, tonight, I am going to bring to you the uh, it's a bosun beer, chocolate stout. A stout, stout. brewed with cocoa powder. And um, it, it's a pretty hoppy beer. And uh, I, I'm, I'm having a paradigm shift here. I'm thinking I just must I must love hops and just don't know it yet. I just can't do IPAs for some reason, but I think I do like hops. But it's a dark chocolate stout. It is really good. It's very smooth, and um, it leaves a distinctive aftertaste. But um, I don't uh, I don't mind it. It'd probably go good with pretzels. But uh, it only has a paltry 5.4% alcohol by volume. But it's a pretty decent sized little uh, little beer I got here. Mm-hmm. My, my wife did pick this up for me tonight. Um, thought it would look good and would be something good to have and she was right. It looks good. Looks tasty. I am imbibing with um, I had a bunch of beer left over from the uh, Thanksgiving uh, feast that we had here. And I am drinking now uh, Sam Adams uh, the White Christmas, Mark, you're absolutely right. This is excellent. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it, I really do like it. It is, um, it's pretty good. I got a few of the others uh, that I still have in the Christmas pack. I got an old Fezziwig. I got a Holiday Porter, and there's something else in there I can't remember. Oh, uh, uh, the the, uh, the Brooklyn Brooklyn Breweries, uh, their Oktoberfest, mm-hmm. out freaking standing. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's it, pretty malty. As a matter of fact, I'm going to crack that one open next. Uh, let's see. Uh, so now that we're done learning about uh, what we are imbibing with, so let's move on to uh, clips, our favorite part of the show. And, uh, gentlemen, I don't have that many because there's really not that many clips in this movie. I got a few, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. So we're going to uh, we'll go with this one here. This is actually going to be the intro, but I'm not going to use it uh, for the intro. I'm just going to play it. Gentlemen, we're at General Porter's because I don't have any idea what's happened. But I don't exclude the possibility of war. Okay, uh, just one uh, quick thing about leadership. If you're the commander of an aircraft carrier, last thing you want to do is go to your guys and say, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> that does not instill confidence. In the, in the, in the but we might be at war. Yeah, we might be at war. The balloon may have gone up. I don't know what's going on. You know, you may think that, but don't tell that to the rest of the crew. I did like the fact that they were playing uh, all that stuff over the uh, over the radio, and they were they heard Jack Benny. Yeah, I used to love that stuff. I had, uh, in fact, I still have a bunch of like the old time radio shows on um, on CD, and those are really fun. You know, for for folks who've never really heard that stuff, I mean, they're really kind of cool to listen to. Next clip. <laughs> Uh, splash two. Eagle control, alert one. Splash two. Repeat. Splash two. Possibly one survivor in the water. That was there's, a, some of that, there's some of that fine acting we were talking about. Yep, that's uh, getting even recopy well. But Very it, authentic. Yep. Because it was. 
Um, I did like this one because this is where they, uh, they've got a radar contact and they send some uh, Tomcats out to go uh, check it out. And uh, this is what they have to say. What have you got? Two Japanese zeros, sir. Two what? Two trophy class Mitsubishi A6Ms in original condition. Two what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... That's probably one of the best lines in the whole movie. Well, actually, no, because this is what I kind of thought about the movie when uh, I'm going to play this clip. You still think it's a dream? It's a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you couldn't wait to pull that one out, could you? No, no. And this is actually, this really kind of sums up this particular quote, this last one I've got here, that really kind of talks about what we were, uh, or let me rephrase that. Uh, this clip here really kind of spells out like the scenarios that we were talking about earlier about if you have a clear-powered aircraft carrier and all the ordnance that goes with it set back 40 years prior, what you could do with that. And this is um, Martin Sheen telling Kirk Douglas, um, you know, you could fix everything. You can't do that. We've got an incredible opportunity here. We know where all the mistakes are going to be made for the next 40 years, and you've got the power to correct them. Because... The reason he was recalling the fighters is because the storm was coming back and they wanted to go back. And they just pretty much assumed they were going to go back to their present time. And that was one of my beefs, which was if I was in Kirk Douglas's seat, I just would have said, okay, whatever happens, the ship happens. Okay, planes, take out the Japanese, land in Hawaii, good luck, see you later. Would have been more dramatic. We had a good combat scene with tons of Japanese planes blowing up. Well, it would have, been would have great left ending. it open for a sequel, too. It would Oh, God, well, that's what we needed with this. <laughs> when, when, when the Nimitz goes back to the Spanish Armada, they won't know what hit them. <laughs> you know, but but they didn't really get into it, which I'm fine with, but it would bring up the philosophical question of do, do we have a duty to change history? And you would change this one event, but you understand that changing this one event changes a lot of other things throughout history then. Right. And, you know, it may lead to you never existing for some reason or, you know, your parents never existing, which would, you know, extend to you never existing. Or, you know, it, it could lead to a, you know, a, a totally different crisis that would be even worse than, you know, the one that you were trying to stop. So it becomes that philosophical question of do you do, do you change it or do you let things go as history had intended? You know, and Jeff, that's a good point and there's a movie that i'm going to mention and it's about time travel and um hold on to your seats that really talks about that really explores that whole concept and it was time cop uh that movie with if you ever saw it with jean-claude van damme once yeah but it really does no seriously i mean that movie really does talk about that it's like you can't you know they they've developed time travel and they actually created like this uh uh, a law enforcement group that they were called time cops. They went back because people would go yeah. in there and ch- and try to change history. And they, yeah, they ripped that off from H. Beam Piper. Yeah, the Paratime series. They ripped that Which off. Which would have been that. I'll, I'll say it to this day. Lord Calvin would make a, a kick-ass movie. Turn it into a movie, print it. It'd be great. No, oh, I don't have to read those. I, I, I wasn't aware. Yeah. You can download them for free on Kindle. I was not aware of that. Oh, yeah. Excellent series. Again, there's Good time travel movie. This is a good time travel book. Uh, H. Beam Piper? Yep. Yep. Right. Piper's, Piper's Paratime series. 
All right, I will have to check that out. Like I said, it's uh, I mean that movie did explore that concept, and I thought it was pretty pretty interesting. I mean the movie sucked, but that being said, um, it just like I said, it just really explored that whole idea that yeah, you can go back in time, but everything that you do changes history. And yeah, you could, you know, if we had defeated Japan and you know before the war started and defeat, you know, what what would have been the results? You know, or are you just postponing things? But well, there was the uh, I just watched South Park covered this aspect <laughs> there where they're... Cartman what Cartman was trying to get a hold of his Wii before it came out, so he froze himself and woke up in the Buck Rogers future. Where they have time, you can tr- you can communicate through time, but you're only allowed to make prank phone calls or else you run afoul of the authorities. Same theory. The cultured man that we know you to be and the listeners know you to be, the voice of reason, the fatherly figure on the podcast, and you bust out with, I watched most recently the episode of South Park, which it just, it just causes the gears in my head to freeze and smoke. And <laughs> I'm an eclectic person. I have many cultural inputs. You are a Renaissance man, an interesting Venn diagram in in, in, in action. God, get this podcast <laughs> somewhere back, dude. Some semblance of oh man. I'm All right, so so now that we're, so now that we're done uh, talking about time travel between uh, Jean Claude Van Damme and uh, Cartman, we're going to go on to the uh, Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? Uh, Cag jumped out of the helicopter door. That's a door. It's not a window. A door. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. No. There's, there's our moment in the show where Steve points out to Ken it's not what we're looking for. Thank you yeah. for the obvious, Mr. Obvious. Why did he do that? I mean, are you just trying to prove something? It's like, that's what they have, those special guys that are in the, you know, they, they're supposed to dump, you know, jump out of the thing. You He's been to- on a ship for months, and there's a hot chick down in the water. What he said. Number two, was there an irrelevant female role in the movie? I'm going to say you didn't I'll, need her in there. I'm going with a big yes. Yeah. It, it was irrelevant, but what made it even more irrelevant, if I heard the following from her one more time in that movie, oh, Charlie, <laughs> talking about that damn dog, all right? I, every time I turned around, I'm like, I'm hearing, oh, Charlie. Every time I turned around, it's oh Charlie. I'm not a fan of saying that a, a female lead is irrelevant, but in this case, the story would have been fine if she wasn't in there. Number three, could the irrelevant female role be better played by Tawny Katane? Yes. 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 <laughs> in 1980? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I don't know. She didn't look very 1940s. At least, uh, at least okay. the awesome. You get to fix her hair. She would have pulled it off. Yeah, you'd have had to do. Well, yeah, you you're right. You know what you could have. They could have done that. Um, you could have done that really like Veronica Lake look on her. That'd have been hot. Oh yeah. Uh, what did Steve think of the irrelevant female? Uh, I didn't. I thought she was pointless in the movie. And I agree with uh, my good and dear friend uh, Jeff. If I heard her, talk, I, I was just you know somebody shoot the dog already so we could stop hearing her talk about Charlie. But anyway, didn't Charlie get those Marines killed too? Didn't he like distract the Marines and? And then uh, the Japanese pilot that they captured, or my. Uh, we don't want to go into that. That makes Charlie bad. I like to think of Charlie's being a positive influence. He's a nice doggy. All right. The fact that people die because of him is irrelevant. All right. Number five. Did this movie know what it wanted to do? Yeah, it did. 
Yeah, pretty much. Oh. I don't I think it knew how it wanted to end the movie. You're, well, well it did. Yeah. I think it did. It, mm. it said, well, or the ship's going to go back in time, and we're going to have these two. The whole purpose for half the characters in the movie was for that scene. Um, it, it knew what it wanted to do. It wanted to show that, you know, that the proof that it wasn't a dream or anything was, you know, that these two people that had been left behind did show up on the docks and, I don't know, somehow were funding this guy or, I don't know, they were, they were in a limousine, which kind of made sense to me that whoever it was that was in that limousine would have been well-to-do if they had known the events that were going to take place over, you know, the next 40 years that they would have said, well, gosh, we have all this wealth of knowledge. We could bet on Super Bowl games, and we could yep. do all this. We can make lots and tons of money. And, of course, they pull up in a limousine. As, as you know, it makes sense that they are, you know, having being chauffeured around. Well, and, and the fact is, like you said, Jeff, he knew all that stuff. I mean, he, he saw the movie It's a Wonderful Life, and he knew you can make a fortune investing in plastics. Yes, that's how he made his money. And he bought some. He bought some uh, Microsoft and uh, some and Apple, Apple stock. There, absolutely. After that boom. It's you know it's off to the races from there. You know it made sense. So I that's why I say yes. This movie knew what it wanted to do. Now whether you liked what it did, I mean that's that's personal taste. The movie was fine. All right. But I got a couple more things because now I just thought of something I wanted to throw out there. But we're going to finish out the checklist, and I want to throw a, a, a little topic of discussion. Uh, number six: Did George Lucas steal any part of this movie for Star Wars? Um, the fighter no. scenes. Yep. <laughs> everything to do with the, everything to do with the fighters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In- including sound effects. Well, the uh, Nimbus- except, except Star Wars came out four years before this. It doesn't but matter. See, he went into the future. Yeah. And he yeah. saw the time this. portal. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, the, the, the Nimitz basically was a Death Star. <laughs> except except the Japanese didn't find some sort of weakness and fly into it and destroy it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's that. There is that. All right. Uh, and last and certainly not least is, Jeff, is there a B-5 reference in this movie? Soon Tech O. Yep. The Japanese pilot. The Japanese pilot that was captured was the... Muay Thai alien sensei in season one, episode 14, where they had the Muay Thai, the, uh, not the Muay Thai, the Muta Do. Um, that was the name of his character, but they had that, uh, that competition. Yeah, it was um, called TKO was the episode. Yeah, the episode was TKO and it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was some sort of that martial arts competition. Muay Thai. Muay Thai. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Mutai. Um, he was the alien sensei uh, that had the uh, Asian accent. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was it was driving me crazy because I remember when I saw that, I'm like, good Lord Almighty, where have I seen him before? And actually, it wasn't from Babylon 5. Uh, just a couple days earlier, uh, it was streaming on Netflix. It was I was watching The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, the uh, Roger Moore, uh, James Bond movie. And he's in that, and that's where I remembered him from. And oh, it was driving uh. me kind of nutty. I'm like, God, why do I know that dude? Or what have I seen him before? I thought you were going to say Mulan. <coughs> the Disney movie? It's my yes. Card. Ah. Well, let's see. Uh, oh, actually, now I know. I, I know what I want to talk about here is, you know, Cag stayed behind with yeah. Didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> well, he didn't have a choice. But you know, my my question about that is, is that. Say you had the opportunity. Say you went back in time, you know, in a situation like that, and it's nineteen, you know, nineteen forty-one, or you know, pick a period 
Would you would you voluntarily stay? He didn't voluntarily stay though. That, I I know he didn't. I'm just <laughs> probably not. No. No. What I'm saying is if if you, I had a choice, probably not. However, if I was stuck back then, I'm I'm taking the idea that you know as a trained naval aviator, the guy probably had all sorts of technical knowledge, so he probably just started saying, well, I'm going to invent the transistor or something like that. Next thing you know, he's a billionaire. Well, so, yeah. Unlike a lot of time travel things, like, you know, wouldn't it be great to be a king in the Middle Ages? No. I mean, you die a horrible death from the bubonic plague or something. Oh, I mean, I'd rather live today with central air and, you know, <laughs> good, good antibiotics. <laughs> okay, I just was curious. Like I said, it was just, it was, I was just more curious if anybody would. I don't know. I mean, it was 1940. I might, I might consider it. I mean, I thought that, I thought that period was was pretty cool. I thought the women were absolutely uh, drop dead gorgeous in terms of just the hairstyles and wardrobe. I could see you in one of those tailored suits with a oh, fedora. Yeah. Oh yeah, let me tell you, man. I'd be happy to like go back thirty years if I knew what I knew now, sort of thing. If I was like eighteen again, that sort of thing, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, that's but what I'm saying is that my old shriveled ass back to the 40s not so much i don't know i i it's it's just something that's always intrigued me is if you ever did that if you ever had that uh if if that opportunity ever presented itself uh would you stay or would you you know want to go back and and try to do that i don't know i think that period was pretty was pretty cool but then again at you know then i had to live through the 50s and 60s and i don't know those those two decades just everything i look at just like this But, yeah, but you know everything, so you could become that multi-billionaire Howard Hughes-like figure that twists reality into a new format because you know what's coming. Good point. I could remake the world in my own image. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. God help us all. Oh, jeez. It actually feel like that. Thank you, King that, uh, yeah. Back to the future where everything was a dark future and Biff Tannen ran the world. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god all right save us this is it uh okay gentlemen what do we what somebody, do we think? Well, I, got, i just have to say this when it comes to time travel movies back to the future does it better than any of them in my opinion but that's so just, what you don't through no you know where that movie lost it for me is he goes back in time and he's in his mom's house and his mom is like Trying to I just threw up and turned the movie off at that point. She didn't know, and he wasn't trying to have sex with her. It doesn't matter. That's gross. That's it. But she didn't like, know she hadn't had any kids yet. Doesn't matter. All right, so we're done with the checklist and the other other uh, irrelevant conversations that we've had at this point. So we're going to go on to our man cave movie review of the show. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, uh, my good and dear friend, uh, Mark, and get his thoughts on this uh, great and fantastic film. Great and fantastic. Huh? I think you're reaching just a bit there, but okay. Um, it's a fun little movie. If you haven't seen it and you're into war pig stuff and you enjoy watching carrier ops and aircraft and what could have been and wooden Sunday motion, Sunday movie of the week acting, it's fine. Um, it doesn't age well, but it's not a bad movie. It, I think, it, again, I go back to my earlier contention. This would have been better for the small screen than the big screen. But it did reasonably well at the box office. It is 
more of a uh, docudrama of um, carrier ops with a overlay of what would happen if we went back to uh, the day before uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, it's fun. It's streaming on Netflix. If you just want to watch something that you you like this kind of movie, uh, check it out. It's got a couple good actors, but they just are very workmanlike in their in their efforts. I'm going to give this thing a s- uh, seven because I like the war pig factor in the movie. Okay, Jeff, what do you have to say, sir? It really echoes what Mark said. Um, it is fun watching all the the Navy shots. I can watch F-14s all day long. They are just a a great airplane. Always liked them. But uh, the you know the Corsair is uh, also fun to watch, and you just get to see a lot of things sent off catapults on these aircraft carriers. It is great. Um, you get to see the uh, AWACS planes going up. I mean, they just throw everything off this ship, and <laughs> I mean, it is just really cool to watch. Um, you know, I really I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking. I, I could just go spend a week vacation on board a carrier and just you know get my lawn chair out and um, and just watch all day long. Um, the acting is nothing to write home about. Secondary acting characters aren't really worth watching. Uh, soundtrack is terrible. And um, when you pull all the different layers away, you know what you have left is is just a, a fun eye candy movie, and um, it's a big part of the movie. But uh, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to uh, I'm going to one up Mark here, and I am going to give this um, seven man cave drawings with a Betty Rubble, seven point one, <clears throat> seven point one on the Richter scale. Okay, I'll buy it. Ken, what do you think, sir? Well, I I normally do. I start. Just saying dittos to everything that's been said. Uh, I like this movie when it came out. Uh, I like the idea back in the old days. It's what it is. It's, again, it's carrier porn. I mean, if, if that, if you like that idea of watching a whole bunch of aircraft and carriers and Navy guys doing Navy stuff, it's a fine movie. Uh, I'm going to give it seven. Okay. Very good. I don't know. My review of this one, eh, I thought it was pretty good when it came out. Uh, but like I said, I just don't think it aged well. I thought the acting was really was really kind of poor. It was almost like everybody was pretty much phoning it in. Uh, even even Kirk Douglas. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna see a movie to see what you know the the you know for the carrier porn, yeah, that's that's what this is. But I wanted to see a little bit more. I just this movie was just really flat for me in terms of kind of everything just the acting just the characters in there uh again i have no idea why in the hell martin sheen was even there um they they kind of said what he was supposed to do but it just seemed like they just put him in there to have another you know big name actor in there i just i don't know i mean if there was if there was an irrelevant role in the movie it was him probably even more so than Catherine ross's role like i said the movie is just kind of flat for me so anyway, I, I don't know. I'm I'm going to be a little less than generous than the other guys. I'll say I'm going to give this one a six. It's one of those if you didn't, if you don't see it, you ain't missing anything. That's at least my my view on it. All right, that's it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode thirty nine. Uh, stay tuned for us next week. We're going to be talking about Trading Places. <laughs> that great movie stars Eddie Murphy and uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, when she was very young and very hot. Actually, she's still oh. hot. She's still hot now. I mean, even uh, uh, her age now, she is still a darn good-looking lady. 
Steve, you're right. She is still H.O.T. Yep. Yep. She's still a man. Very attractive lady. All right, so that'll that'll be our, our next show. So uh, uh, stay tuned for us then if we haven't completely driven off uh, what uh, uh, small listener base that we still have. Uh, so that's it. Uh, check us out on our website, <laughs> www.mancavemoviereview.com. Uh, we're also on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And uh, you can check us out on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. This- you forgot about Stitcher. Oh, that's right. We're also on Stitcher. I finally got us on Stitcher. So uh, check us out there. You can uh, get our shows. uh, Actually, you can go right to our website, and you can click on the widget and get our shows there. There's also a link to go to Stitcher and get it there. That's it. Until then, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Mark. Going to go back in time, Slover. What we've stumbled across is not man-made, but a phenomena of nature, one that can't be explained. This phenomena is a podcast, which the audience went through less than an hour ago, and will have some effect on them, as we know not. <laughs> nice. Very well done. And also saying farewell and adieu is our other good and dear friend, Jeff. Does anyone have any Dramamine? Muncie. Pearl Tower, Tomcat200, requesting clearance to, for departure from this podcast this evening. Over. You are clear to launch. Have a nice day. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Love it. And uh, finally, is our other good and dear friend, Ken. Why do they call him Cag Roni? Well, in closing, I just have to say that if instead of the Martin Sheen character, like you said, who is irrelevant, if they just would have had Doc Brown from Back to the Future, he would have solved this time paradox by putting a Mr. Fusion on the fusion generator on the carrier and turning this into a DeLorean-like time machine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Am I right? All the things that the Nimitz could have done. Saved the Lindbergh baby. <laughs> Avoided Vietnam. Prevented Franz Ferdinand. Um, Stopped the Carter administration. <laughs> I mean, Doc, uh, Doc Brown's problem was he, he had a flux capacitor. He just needed the source of power. You know, the, Napoleon. The, the has plenty of power. Um, goodness, right, the, Viking, the Vikings would have, well, I mean, they just wouldn't have ran all over the world, that's for sure. We would have contained them to the northern part of But then Europe. we wouldn't have had the 13th Viking. <laughs> All right, I've got to put an end to this. All right, folks, hope you liked the show. We obviously did. Check (laughs) us out next week, and we will see you then. Ciao. and she's not doing any of the plastic stuff she is letting herself age and she is aging damn well good for her I don't, do you do you think she does some plastic to her breasts because her breasts that she has now are not the ones that she has in trading places well I haven't seen her lately but send her over and I'll check it out and get back to you well get, get back <laughs> oh my god alright okay so I guess <laughs> real and they're fantastic.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>